Would you pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, God, those words are so powerful, and I believe that they are true. The mountains shake before you, God. There is no power in hell that can stand between you and those that you love. God, we claim that this morning. I don't care what we've walked out of this past week. I don't care what we are walking into next week. You are the great I am, able to fulfill every promise that you've made. What can come between us, as Paul said, neither this life or the next, angels, demons, the present or anything to come, nothing can stand between your love and us. And God, we just want to stop. And as David shared earlier, God, repent of our self-righteousness. We have done nothing to earn it. We do nothing to deserve it, let alone to deserve more of it. Yet as Kim read, you wait to pour out. I love it. Paul said that we would know your love that is beyond knowledge. The height, the depth, the width of your love immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We are wholly undeserving and so grateful for all that you pour out on us. Come and move this morning, we pray, God. As always, may I decrease and you increase. May your people hear your words spoken to their hearts through your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you guys, I like to worship. I could do that for a minute. So we're continuing on through uh, the book of Mark. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark uh, shared with us from Mark 1, 16 to 20, the calling of the first disciples. Uh, Jesus walking along, seeing these men fishing in their boats, and they had, they had seen him teach before and kind of heard his message. And he walks past Peter and Andrew, brothers, and then James and John, brothers, and he says, come follow me. And what did they do? immediately left everything to follow him. Jesus calling his first disciples, and what was their response? Obedience. Jesus is calling each of us, even this morning, and our response, again, I love what, what my brother David shared, our response is to be obedience and to follow him, to walk with him wherever he leads. And so let's see where that led the first disciples. Starting in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read a passage. We're going to read through Mark 1.34, and then we'll come back and just break it all down. Then they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to preach, or excuse me, to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because, unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus, Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. News about him then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went and took her hand, or took her by the hand, and he raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, the sun had set, and they began bringing to him all those who were sick and all those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick and of various diseases, and drove out many with demons. Excuse me, drove out many demons. Pardon me, but he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, so immediately, Peter, Andrew, James, and John leave everything to follow Jesus, and they walk into a firestorm. They heard Jesus teaching earlier, and man, he was talking about this kingdom thing, and maybe he's the Messiah. There was like word starting to spread. He says, come follow me. They leave everything. We're, uh, man, I don't know if you noticed, 
But they went into Peter and Andrew's house, and who did Jesus heal? Peter's mother-in-law, which meant Peter was what? Married. They left everything to follow Jesus. And we go, whoa, 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 that doesn't seem right. You, you should never leave your wife to follow Jesus, right? I would say 99% of the time, absolutely, unless God calls you to. And I, I don't think he left her. Like he, There was no divorce. There was nothing like that. But he said, the master's calling and I have to go. And at least for three and a half years, he was on the move with Jesus, most of the time at least, apart from his wife. There's even a spot over in Luke where, where Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. And he says it costs everything. And Peter goes, Jesus, we've given everything. And Jesus says, you're right. Blessed are those who have left father and mother, wives and children to follow me. They left everything at the command of Jesus. And listen, this is not one of those principles that we all need to apply and now we need to leave everyone just to go follow Jesus. This was a specific call of Jesus to his disciples, but it shows not only did they leave their nets, their livelihood behind, they left their life behind to follow Jesus. They said he is worth every single thing and they walked after him to follow him. Crazy, right? And then they walk in, and all of a sudden, demon-possessed people start jumping out of the crowd. And they're in a synagogue that's arguing like crazy. If I'm Pete and the boys, pretty quickly I'm going, huh. We left everything for this. This is going to be bumpy. Like, it wasn't just following around. Some, like, so many times people just kind of picture Gandhi. This super peaceful guy going around, just, just talking with the crowds. There was chaos in following Jesus, there had to be a point where these guys questioned, what are we doing? But they followed anyway. So let's, let's start to break this down, starting in verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue, Jesus, on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching, because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. We love the picture of Jesus the teacher, right? When most of us think about Jesus, we think about him in some kind of teacher role. The Sermon on the Mount, standing in the synagogues, teaching the crowds. This is how most of us, in our 21st century mindset, we picture Jesus. We like that. We can get a hold of that, because for most of us, what's discipleship? Come and sit and listen. Someone teaches you information you need to know, and somehow life is better because of it. And so we really like this picture of Jesus going and teaching. But what made him unlike the teachers that they were used to? It's right there in the passage. He was teaching with authority. So what does that mean? Was he just more passionate or eloquent than all of the other scribes and teachers at the time? I don't think so. He taught with authority, and here's a little side note. The king always has authority in his own kingdom, yes? Yeah. And wherever the king went, the kingdom went with him. And so Jesus had this authority that caused people to step back and go, we've never seen anything like this before. It doesn't say, man, he was so persuasive. He just used words they'd never heard before. He just put it in a way they'd never heard before. He said there was this authority about him that drew people in. You had to deal with what he said. Love him or hate him, you couldn't ignore it. He spoke with authority. So what did this teaching with authority look like? Let's keep reading on. Mark 1, 23 to 24. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Let's pause there for a moment. I'm going to keep drawing us back to why the book of Mark was written. Remember, if you remember from the intro a couple weeks back, we talked about some of the background stuff. It's on our website if you weren't there and you want to hear it. But essentially, Mark was written, like whose account is the book of Mark? Peter's. 
Mark wrote down Peter's account. Okay, so you're going to hear me talk sometimes and I'm going to say because Peter wanted them to know because Peter was saying Mark was basically the scribe writing down Peter's account of his time with Jesus. Peter was in Rome awaiting execution, writing to a church in Rome, starting to, to experience persecution, the likes of which the church had never experienced. Under a bad dude named Nero, things were turning ugly. There was uncertainty. There was fear. Peter needed the church to know who Jesus is. And he stops to tell us here, man, even the sworn enemies of the kingdom knew who Jesus was and trembled at his name. For, for those who were facing uncertainty, potentially arrest and death, loss of job, loss of family, all of these different things on, the, like on their front step. And Peter reminds the church, look, kind of like we already sang, nothing comes between those God loves and himself. Even the sworn enemies of the kingdom know his name and tremble. Have you come to destroy us? You are the Holy One of God. This is not a team player going, yay, Jesus, Holy One of God. This is a terrified enemy going, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Peter wants to remind the church even demons know who he is and they tremble at his name. Let's keep going. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet, come out of him. I love how nonchalant Jesus is. Shh, come on out. I, I, almost, I always snap my fingers whenever I'm doing an impression of Jesus, which is dangerous. Don't do impressions of Jesus. It can lead to bad places, but I naturally do it. Get quiet, get out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. And let me tell you, by every earthly way we understand, Jesus was establishing his kingdom wrong. He was going about it all backwards. When your own enemies are shouting, he's the king, every earthly ruler would have gone, let that man speak. See, even they say it. But Jesus shushes him. Quiet. It's not time for that. According to our way of thinking, a typical kingdom is based on, I'm putting air quotes around it, power, popularity, and fanfare. The reason I put quotes around power is because our earthly definition of power, which almost every kingdom, if not every kingdom, we could ever point to, is based on the power to dominate other people to crush anyone that stands in your way, to stand on top of the pile, might makes right. This is how we understand establishing a kingdom. And Jesus was going about it all wrong. You see, if you're going to establish a kingdom, first you put on a show for the world to see. Then you get the word out. You gather crowds, you toot your own horn, and you crush anyone that stands in your way. But what we see Jesus doing instead is going, oh, no, quiet. It's not time for that. We will see as we read through this, Jesus performing miracles and then telling people, don't tell anyone. That's not why I did this. This is not some PR event where I'm just trying to build my name up and gather crowds. Instead, every time crowds would gather, we've talked about this before, Jesus would turn and give them a hard teaching. If you're going to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the crowds would fall away. Jesus, you're doing it backwards. You're not going to establish a very good kingdom. You have no followers. I think he knew what he was doing, though. So let's keep going. Verse 27. Then they were all amazed. So they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. What does teaching with authority look like? This is where things get uncomfortable for a lot of us. It looks like the supernatural. Jesus had a spiritual authority. When Jesus would speak, not only was there something inside every person that responded to his spiritual authority, to the king of kings being in the room, whether that response was to run to him or that response was to push him away, every single person had almost a guttural reaction to Jesus because the king of kings was in the room. 
because whether they knew it or not, he had a spiritual authority. He is the creator of all things. And when a creation hears its creator speak, it responds. Jesus walked with this kind of authority, but it wasn't just that. There was supernatural signs that came with it, like casting out unclean spirits. That makes us pretty uncomfortable. Most of us in this room would rather not use the D word, demons or demonic. We would rather pretend like that whole thing doesn't exist. If so, we need to pick a different book than Mark, actually any of the Gospels, because they keep shoving it in our face. Where Jesus went, he wasn't just a good teacher, though he was a great teacher. But he came, they say it here, with a new teaching and with authority. They saw signs of the kingdom's power in their midst, and it drew them in. There was no ignoring it. Jesus' kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom like anything we've ever seen. It is a spiritual kingdom, a supernatural kingdom, and you cannot separate it from the supernatural. Let's look at a couple things Paul has to say. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul recalling the time that he first met the Corinthian church, and he says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul came to this new church and he did not, above anything else, he did not want people going, that Paul, he just put it in a way I've never heard before. I just, he was so persuasive, I believe him. They saw demonstrations of the Spirit's power accompanying his teaching. It almost sounds like he intentionally dumbed it down so that all people could stand on was the demonstrations of God's power so that their faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Ephesians 3.10, talking about God and the way that he is working, it says this, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly realms. That says elms. Oh, good. They cut the R off back there. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is putting the church on display so that those in the heavenly realms can see his manifold, meaning many-sided wisdom. You almost get the picture of, of some of these in the heavenly realms, these things that we can't even really wrap our heads around, going, but God, really, do you really know what you're doing? And he says this, watch the church. You want to see my plan? Watch my church. We are on display for those in the heavenly realms. That is supernatural. Ephesians 6, many of us know this, we quote it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against a supernatural enemy. And we cannot fight it without supernatural weapons. Therefore, put on the armor of God. This makes us uncomfortable, church. I get it. It makes me uncomfortable. Because the whole thing, supernatural, beyond what is natural. Things that seem like they should be impossible, yet God calls them true. Jesus breaks laws of physics because he can to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. Now, there are some who would say, yeah, good for him, but that all stopped now, right? That was just a Jesus thing. We'll get to that. Jesus was so much more than a good teacher able to capture his audience. Peter wants the church to know in the midst of all of this darkness and fear and pain and loss, do not forget who the king is and the power that comes with his kingdom. That's the hope that you have. Jesus never promises, hey, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. You're all going to make it out okay. Every disciple died a terrible death. 
Even John, who, who was the one who wasn't martyred, ended up marooned on an island as a punishment. It didn't turn out okay for them, yet they all had exceeding hope because they knew it's not about this life. It's not just about what I can see. God is doing so much more. It is supernatural. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not about what you know. It's not about the words you say. It's not about my notes. And man, I hope I get all these things right. Because in the end, if you don't experience the power of God today, you will walk away unchanged. You will walk away. I will walk away. Maybe knowing a few new things. Maybe having something to argue with. But in my heart, completely unchanged. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Pastor Mark, last week, talking about following Jesus, uh, he made this statement that, I was sitting there going, man, I would make it even stronger, but that tends to just be where I come from. Can you follow Jesus and not experience transformation? No. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Yeah, 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 Jesus is Lord. I said that. I prayed that. No problem. I would check all the boxes. I would agree with those things. Where's the power? Where's the transformation? Where is the miraculous in your life? If it's not there, I have questions. We've created this kind of Christianity that says you can follow Jesus without having to look anything like him, act anything like him, demonstrate any of his power in your life, but still be good with him. You will not find that in the scriptures. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We heard this earlier. Kim shared this passage, and this is one of my life passages. I love it. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Everybody do this with me. Close your eyes. Imagine the grandest thing that God could do, the most powerful thing that you could ever see God do, the most miraculous thing he could ever do. Everybody got something in their head? Now multiply it by immeasurably. Supernatural. Even the grandest, the greatest, the most miraculous, God goes, that is the tip of the iceberg. You can't even imagine the things that God desires to do. Yet we think if we don't understand it, it must not be there, and we put it off to the side. God is building a supernatural kingdom, and that kingdom should display itself in power. Let's continue on. Maybe that was just a one-off. This one demon-possessed guy came up, Jesus did it, and they moved on. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they, told her, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, miraculous, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. He healed many, miraculous, who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, miraculous. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. His kingdom come. You guys remember the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes? His kingdom come comes with kingdom authority and supernatural power in the here and now. Do you think God is up there just doing only natural things in heaven? Everything looks just like it does here? No. We, we, when we even try to picture heaven, we go, man, I can't even put it into words. It's so far beyond. And Jesus goes, my whole mission, therefore your whole mission, is to bring that kingdom down here. With every bit of power and authority that God has there, he gives to us down here. We're so scared to exercise it. We must learn to embrace Jesus' authority. This is a battle for us. 
And we're going to talk here in a minute. There's kind of the, the two poles, the pendulum swing that the church tends to be on. There's two extremes that we get drawn to. Both are dangerous. But we have to learn to embrace Jesus' authority. Not only authority, authority over our lives, what we call lordship. God says go and we go. God says stay and we stay. God says speak and we speak. Not only that, but also authority given to us to demonstrate the kingdom before a watching world and beyond. The heavenly realms are watching the church to see what God is like, and God is powerful, and he wants to put that on display through us. We need to fight our tendency to either neglect spiritual authority or pigeonhole it. I'm going to break those two down and talk about what they mean, but these are two poles that we have to be careful of. The first one that is very common around, uh, I don't mean around here like this church, but in America, in cultured Western civilization, is to neglect spiritual authority. It's, it's too uncomfortable. It's too unknown. It's too, honestly, uncontrollable. It's beyond what we can ask or imagine. It's supernatural. It's, by definition, out of our control. It's something that only God can do, and when he does it, our only response is awe. And that terrifies us. We are a nation built on control. We have found ways to control, so we think, every aspect of our lives. And when we see something that reminds us we're out of control, it terrifies us. And many of our reaction is to pull back. We'll say things like, we live life that says, let's just focus on the things that Jesus taught, at least the ones that we like, and make sure that we can say we agree with those. We, we've turned Christianity into being able to check the right boxes. True, 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 false. As long as you get a passing grade, you're a great Christian. It becomes about what you know. It becomes incredibly intellectual, not experiential. Thank you, wife. We end up quoting theologians and, and pastors and authors more than we quote Jesus. Because what Jesus said and did terrifies us. We like to read uh, Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, skip to the end, his death on the cross, and try not to pay too much attention to everything in the middle because it's uncomfortable. What in the world would that even look like today? There's no way Jesus is calling me into that, is he? And we neglect it. Following Jesus becomes more about having the right answers and telling others the difference between right and wrong. Those who, who neglect spiritual authority are known for everything they're against. And I truly believe this. They're known for what they're against because they lack any power to change anything. So all they do is stand up and pick it. This is wrong. This is wrong. You're wrong for doing this. God hates you for doing that. Because truly they neglect the power to change. Because they've neglected the authority that God has given them to make changes in this life. None of us in and of ourselves, in any human power, can make any lasting change. It is only God moving through his church in the world that will bring about lasting change. And if the church stands back and says, no, we don't buy that, we will never see change come and we will only be known for the things that we're against. The other response, the other uh, pendulum swing, is that we pigeonhole spiritual authority. We say that spiritual authority becomes solely about miracles and deliverances. It becomes only about the big, flashy things that are, man, just so cool to see and the things that sell books because that story is crazy. And we say that is what spiritual authority is about. And here's the danger of that, one of the dangers about that. This tends to become very selfish. I want to see God do cool things. I want to see God move. There, there is a teaching that is incredibly dangerous that says something like this. God has given you authority over your situation. Now go get your blessing. Who is that kind of authority about? Me. How does this benefit me? Who do we see Jesus, and when you read through the New Testament, his disciples, who do you see them using this spiritual authority for? Everyone else. 
There's, there's a, a, a story in the book of Luke uh, that we'll look at the end of. Jesus sends out his disciples, and not just the 12. He sends out 72. He sends them out two by two. He says, go in 36 different directions and advance the kingdom. He, he doesn't really prepare them a whole lot. He just says, follow the Lord. Go into those places, and whatever God tells you to do, do it. And let's just see what happens. So they take the good news of the kingdom in 36 different directions. And then we're going to catch up here when they all come back. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However... Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They came back going, Jesus, we saw some crazy stuff. Look at how powerful we are in your name. And first of all, Jesus kind of goes, look, you don't, even, you don't even understand. I've seen Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You don't even know the power that comes with my name. The authority that comes with the kingdom. You, you've seen, again, that tip of the iceberg. And he says, it goes even further than that. I, I am with you to the point where there is nothing Satan can do to harm you. Not physically. Jesus also said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Like, we, we can still be hurt in this world. But he says, in the life that really matters, nothing can touch you. I have hope and life and peace and joy that can overcome anything the enemy can throw at you. Nothing can touch you. He says, but don't even just rejoice at that power. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't miss it. It's not power for power's sake. It's not authority for authority's sake. Look what I can do. But it is demonstration of the kingdom's power that should bring us to a place of humility and thanksgiving, and seeking the king's will. The proper response is to move in his authority as ambassadors for the kingdom. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, the beginning of the Great Commission, Jesus sending his disciples out. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, look, I've been given the keys to everything. All authority, spiritual, earthly, doesn't matter. It's all mine, and now I'm sending you out to make disciples, to do the same thing that he came to do. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, talks about us being ambassadors for the kingdom. We've talked about this a couple different times. What is an ambassador? Someone who goes in the name of the king with the authority of the king to speak the words of the king and to see that the will of the king is lived out. And Paul, Paul doesn't just go, look, some of us apostles up here, we're ambassadors. You guys just hang out. He says, each and every one of you are called to be ambassadors for the kingdom, to go in the power and authority of the king, to speak the message of the king, and to see that the will of the king is lived out. That his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We have to embrace this full spectrum. This means that everything is on the table. Authority in the spiritual realms. Authority over the demonic. And again, I know even saying that word, some of us clench. The same authority over the demonic that Jesus had, and that later we see in his disciples, we have been given. The miraculous authority even over the laws of nature is available to us through Jesus. Now listen, does that mean that because we click our fingers, everyone's healed? Or this is different or that's different? No. It's his authority and his will being done. But that means that uh, how many times do we not even seek him for it? Because it just seems too crazy. Or what if he doesn't? How would I feel then? And so we neglect Instead of going, God, I believe you have the ability to make this earthly situation different. What is your will, King? And what he leads us to pray, we pray. What he leads us to do, we do, regardless of cost. Because it's his kingdom, not mine. There is a, 
when we think about the supernatural, again, we tend to go to, okay, spiritual warfare. That's a much cleaner way to say dealing with unclean spirits and whatnot. We think about the miraculous. We tend to overlook the everyday supernatural. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We think, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be loving, and so we muster up some love. We are called to have supernatural amounts of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The kind that when the world sees it, they don't go, wow, he's a really nice guy. They go, what the heck was that? We have been spitting in his face, and he loves us. His world is completely out of control right now. What is this peace? Peter later writes in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4, talking again to this church that is on its way to being, as far as the world can see, out of control. The clouds are rolling in. Things are getting dark for the church. And Peter says this, the way that you live your life, you should put on display such a hope that the world demands an explanation. That they see your hope and demand an explanation. He says, then, have your explanation ready for the hope that you have. Man, it's about Jesus. Nothing in this world can touch me because God is with me. And if God is with me, who can be against me? This kind of spiritual authority that puts itself on display in the everyday, in the character we have that people look at it and go, that is not a human ability. That much grace, that much peace, that much self-control. The, the only explanation is a miracle. We say that the God of peace lives in us, and then we live peace as much as we can muster. No wonder the world doesn't believe it. Francis Chan says it like this. Imagine me coming to you one day and going, man, last night I met the God of basketball, and he lives inside me now. And they said, cool, let's play some one-on-one. -on -one. I can't jump any higher. I can't defend anything. My shot, meh. They're going to go, yeah, okay. The God of basketball lives in you. We do that same thing. We go, the king of peace lives in me, yet I'm just as anxious as the rest of you. The king of love has come into me, yet I still hate. Yet I still hold at arm's length. I refuse to forgive and show grace. These are supernatural gifts called to put on display as demonstrations of the king's power. The ability to walk into any situation having the authority to bring the kingdom's power and presence in the here and now. Where peace is lacking, we bring supernatural amounts of it. Where hope is lacking, we who know how this whole thing ends remain hopeful even in the darkest days. Where bondage exists, we have the ability to set the captives free. Be that physical bondage, those who are, uh, we partner with Remember New to prevent children from going into the sex slave trade. I hate that word, slave. We exist to set them free. We exist to set those trapped in addiction free to bring the kingdom here on earth. And the kingdom brings justice and freedom. And those are supernatural, miraculous things that if we choose to stand at arm's length, will never be done. The world will be worse for it and the kingdom will not move forward. I could keep going for a while, but I won't. Next week, we're going to look at where did Jesus' spiritual authority come from? How do we grab hold of this spiritual authority that Jesus has given us. We're going to go into that next week. But for this week, I want to end by just asking questions and having you guys uh, share. As we always say, I don't believe that I'm the only one that God has spoken to. I'm not the only one who can teach or has something to say on the matter. I would love to hear from you, church. Here's my first question. Why don't we see this kind of kingdom power and authority anymore? We read about it, and most of us read and we get encouraged and say, Amen. Very few of us could say, and I've, I've seen it in my lifetime. Why don't we see this kind of kingdom power and authority anymore? Okay, because we're focused on ourselves and not what God is doing. Amen. David? 
Don't steal my thunder for next week, David. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's no other place you can go with it. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't spend time with the king, and so we don't expect the king to show up far too often. Absolutely. Why don't we see this kind of power and authority anymore? Someone else is fighting with their spouse, not my wife. We would never. Again, not, it's just a story. It's just a story. Right, someone else's marriage. back to where this whole thing started with the calling of those disciples. There was a call, and what was their response? Immediately, their response was obedience. Not hesitation, not question, not, but hey, Jesus, what about? Their response was obedience. And through their obedience, not only did they see the kingdom and the king's authority get put on display, like front row, we then see them getting sent out and coming back and going, Jesus, this is crazy. Look at what the power of your name does. But it started with God's call and their obedience. We too often, Kim, like, exactly like you're saying, we think we can be disobedient about this because it's not a big deal, disobedient about that because, hey, it's understandable, disobedient about this because, man, it's just a scary time. But, man, where is God? We, we disobey, 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 and then turn and look at him and go, why aren't you showing up? So much of it starts with our own obedience, and it's going to start in the small things that seem like, that's not a big deal. Certainly he doesn't care about that. He does. Each one of those is a step on the journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. I know the right answer, but living it out. Me and Jesus have been having a talk lately, and David, much like he shared with you, he's been calling me on my stuff, and he goes, you're all talk. You can stand up there and teach it, but where is it? Like, where is it in your life? It's easy to stand up here and demand it from all of you. Because, man, I got verses. I got a microphone. What else do I need? But that's exactly the thing. Lately, God's been going, where is it in your life? So I'm, I am in the middle of this with you guys. Do not in any way think, oh, he's got it figured out. I would be in the back of the class right now just shaking my head. This is something God is working on me with because I'm, I'm in that exact same spot. Okay, so let me ask this next question. Simple question, hard answers. What needs to change? We, we've kind of started to hone in on some of the problems 
why we don't embrace this, why we don't see this lived out. So what needs to change? Let me press into that, because I think that that's a, a huge thing. I think fear really stops a lot of this. How do we let go of the fear? Because it sounds simple, just let go of the fear. I think most of us have tried that before, and the next day, the next week, the next hour, we're right back again. How do we begin to let go of the fear? Okay. If we're waiting for the fear, the feeling of fear to be gone, before we obey, you missed it. There can be no courage without fear. Yeah? There can be no faith if there's no chance that things go wrong. So we're, if we're waiting for the fear to be removed before we step in, we've already missed it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for, for those who couldn't hear, Christine was saying, it's just like Joshua and the Israelites stepping into the Jordan. God didn't stop the Jordan from flowing, and then they walked through. He said, take the priests and tell them, walk into this flood stage Jordan. It said that it had overflowed the banks. Tell them to walk in and then see what I do. And it wasn't until their feet got wet that the water stopped. Something helpful that I found read in that same vein, Steve, is those areas where, where you're kinda, your gut drops out. When you read a passage, you read a command, you read a story, and something in you goes, I hope that's not true. I hope he really doesn't call us to that kind of stuff. I hope he really doesn't still do that kind of stuff today because that sounds kind of crazy. When you have those moments, let those be those red flags that go, uh-oh, Lord, I think there's something here. I think there's a lack of trust here, a lack of faith here. There's fear here. And just to take those and lay them at his feet, God, I am scared to death that you are calling us into a battle of spiritual warfare. God, I am scared to death that you are calling us to battle the addiction in our culture because it seems way too big. What can we do again? Like, that's where I come naturally. And so laying that at his feet and going, God, I'm terrified. But I trust you. And so if you call us in here, I also trust that you're going to provide. Show us how. I, I love the, the prayer of a father uh, with his boys demon-possessed, and he comes to Jesus and he says, man, can you heal him? And Jesus goes, can I? And the man responds, I have faith. Like, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I want to believe. I know it here, 
but I am terrified. Help me to believe. If we will start there, my God, what we will see. And not see in terms of a show, see in terms of a transformed community, transformed families, addicts set free, hopeless finding hope, families being brought back together, united, reconciled. Because that's kingdom life. And if, if we think anything short of a miracle will bring that about, we're fooling ourselves. And let me just say, I think that we're starting from a good place. Because I think that there are people in this room that can say, I've been set free. Yeah. I think that we aren't there yet, but there's a lot of us that can look at what God has already done, and we can say, okay, there's more. There's healing. I've been, you know, there's those of us that have been healed. There are those of us that are being set free. Mm-hmm. So, like, this isn't foreign territory. This is just continuing on with what he, where we started, who we were, and what he has done and what he is going to do. It's true. That's what she always does for me. So I do the same thing. (laughs) Would you guys pray with me uh, as we, we're going to close this service with a song that we would just set our eyes on Jesus because things are different when the king is in the room. Lord Jesus, there are some scary things about your kingdom come. Uh, Some really uncomfortable things, some things that call us out into deep waters. Some things where if if we take that step and you don't show up, we are left high and dry. God, would you enable us to see you in a new way? As we take the disciplined steps of reaching out to you, of seeking your face, not just your hands, but your face, would you begin to change us from the inside out? Would you begin to transform us, to let your spirit's life be lived through us, that God, step by step, your kingdom would be realized in us, your kingdom would be realized in Elkins, and to the ends of the world. Because obedient people of faith They see the fulfilled promises of God. Would you continue to move in us, God, in those areas where we naturally cringe and pull back? Would you, in your loving way, pursue us there? God, draw us into those places that we could begin to practice faith even more than we did yesterday, that we could begin to see transformation even more than we did yesterday. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen.